Welcome to Bethlehem Church Online. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm so excited that you decided to join us for worship today. I hope the singing and preaching of God's Word is uplifting and it gives you just what you need. I'm not sure where you are in your relationship or your walk with the Lord, uh, but I want today to be a blessing. I want you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that today is encouraging and that it's just what you need. If it's your first time, make sure to click the link in the post and fill out that form. We have a free gift for you following today's service. Thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the service. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 39 will be the text for today. And man, I'm pumped. Pumped about this one. Uh, if you missed the announcement last week, you got that Envision slide, Bill? Uh, this morning, I don't think we had anybody new, but this is kind of um, what we're looking at moving forward. Um, the Bullies Quarters Volunteer Fire Department, uh, the hall portion of it. Um, and then entering into uh, some sort of a deal, a, a um, long-term, long-term rent-to-own. And uh, they have, they're looking for essentially someone to come in. I get, They voted, I think, two years ago to sell the whole place and know that they're looking to build somewhere else. And so the Lord has opened a, opened a door uh, and started the conversation. We don't have any details yet, but as we get details um, of the deal and the structure and all of that, we'll, um, we'll call a meeting and then get together. Obviously, there's a bit of a timeline, but I've said this before, I'm not too worried about it. You know, the we had eight months built in to our timeline as a church after we sell, sold this property. Uh, and, you know, I, I think this, those of you that have been here a while know that, you know, we've looked at expanding this property. We've looked at it's and it's very expensive. This move is going to be good for us all around. This deal specifically, though, the conversations that are taking place, the things leading up to it, I'm, I'm very excited, uh, and I see this as being, um, I, I see it as the thing and the thing that we've been kind of like waiting on. Everything else was a version of this, um, but this is like far beyond. And you can see how big the hall is over to the right. Uh, has a 400 seat occupancy. It would be nice to go back to one service, all being under under one one roof and worship together. The two services definitely have different feels. Um, you know, so that would be, it would be really cool. Um, but there's a lot more opportunities. So it's a, it's a large space, uh, commercial kitchen. We're going to be able to serve the community really, really well out of here if the Lord works it out. So please, in your prayer and fasting in the 21 days, make this a matter of prayer. The Where we're at in the whole thing right now is the fire department is discussing. Their board is meeting. They're talking about what this deal looks like, and we need to be praying and be ready to kind of go from there uh, whenever they get something on paper. Um, but I, it's a huge open door, and I'm really, really, really pumped about it. Um, I mean, they have, like, barbecue pits. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Marlon. <laughs> I mean, they got these unbelievable barbecue pits out back. I mean, it's, and the, they told us, like, when we were in their meeting with them, it was like, you know, this was the hub back in the 50s and 60s. The community's hub was here, you know, and, and events and all that stuff. And my wheels were like... I'm like, oh, it's going to happen again. <laughs> so it's, it's really cool. I'm, I'm so excited. 
Uh, I'm honestly ready to begin renovations tomorrow, but we're not there quite yet. So just be, be in prayer and uh, pray that, that the Lord works it out like I know he will. Amen. And if not that, something else. Open a door. Let us know. Uh, but I'm, I'm really at this point hoping it's that. Amen. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll jump in. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Father, I, I need help with this text this morning. Spirit of God, I pray that you would just take it and minister to the hearts. Father, I pray that this would uh, produce change. Like it's changed me. Like it's been in my heart. Father, I pray that it would help our church. That it would be something uh, just absolutely medicinal from the inside out. That we would walk away more confident that you're at work now more than ever. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, one thing I've enjoyed about Hebrews is the repetition. I don't know if you've noticed it, but there's a lot of themes that he just keeps kind of going back to and reintroducing. And he'll throw out an Old Testament scripture, and then he'll bookend a a portion of it with the same Old Testament scripture, driving home that point. And um, what what we've covered thus far, remember, this is, uh, we're just walking through the book. So if you're like, man, I feel like this is missing something, this sermon, it is, uh, the whole rest of the the, the, uh, series. Um, But specifically, I think that uh, the job that the author has done in presenting the throne room to us, presenting what was the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, right? And Paul said, hey, the Old Testament was a schoolmaster, was the principle to lead us to the New Covenant. Um, all of those things, the way that it operated, the Old Testament, the old system was to lead us to the new system, the new covenant. The, the Old Testament priests were to point and lead to the perfect high priest who is Jesus. And, and what we have and what we uh, have identified as the, the holy of holies, the throne room where he resides in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father is a place where his blood is applied his priestly work is perfect, and it's better than Moses's. Of the order of Melchizedek, Aaron uh, and the priesthood, that the, the Levitical priesthood, they could never measure up to what we can experience in Jesus. Amen? Like, this is, this is the groundwork that the author is laying. He's like, hey, uh, this is pretty, pretty amazing stuff, what you have. And the transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it should be felt. It should be internal. Now, it's not just something that you're going through the motions on the outside. Your inside can match your outside for the first, uh, for the first time. I think, Steve, I think I heard you say your, your audio can match your video, right? Uh, it's like those, those cheesy old uh, movies where he's like, that's what I said. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? It's like, it, thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's such a cheesy movie, like the way the way it used to be. Uh, and we won't pick any certain demographic to pick on about that. But the point is, is right, right, the audio doesn't quite match the video, but with the new covenant, it can. Internally, your conscience, we we've talked about that, right? Your conscience can work with, commune with the Holy Spirit and produce something that's real. Uh, look, I've I've been burdened lately, if you haven't if you haven't been able to tell, for our young people. Burdened for you. Uh, it, it's it, it's uh, an attack. Like the enemy wants you. And, and he's got these little devices, right? 
Uh, he's got these ways that he's been working on and refining for years and years and years. He's after you. If you don't, if you don't know this, like he wants your heart. He wants the center of your being. He desires to have you. And if you let him, if you give place, your inside won't match your outside. You'll be at home, you'll be young, you'll be a, 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 you know, a child or a teenager or a youth, and on the outside, you might conform to mom and dad's rules, but on the inside, you're like, wait till I'm 18. And then there'll be like little glimpses of it where you're like, you know, you show your rebellion, you show your cards, and your parents are like, oh, she's a good girl, he's a good boy. And everybody else on the outside is like, no, she ain't, <laughs> no, he ain't. <laughs> we know, we see it. Right? It's, there's little manifestations. But if we're honest, it isn't just the young people. It's the adults. The adults be acting out. The adults be like, oh, hi, Sister So-and-so. So good to see you. She a snake. Mm-hmm. She is horrible. Did you hear what she said? Did you hear what she did? I mean, we did the same stuff. Our inside doesn't match our outside. Right? But, but the author of Hebrews is like, it needs to get to that point. It needs to get to the point where the internal and the external line up, and, and Jesus' priestly work is so good that it can do that. <laughs> we spent the week in Tennessee, and of course you have to endure my Tennessee jokes every time I come back. Last time it was the pediatrician that we went and saw and how kind they were and how they let my wife and I go stay in the Caymans in their timeshare. Remember that? I'm jo- totally joking. <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> Miss <laughs> Marsha's like, wow, it's uh, amazing. My point is, is people are really friendly in the South, right? Uh, this time, it was like we were driving through my parents' neighborhood, and, you know, people are, like, waving. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's just, like, come out of nowhere. It's like they know there's sensors in the road, and they know when a vehicle is driving by, and they all come out of their house to wave. You know, it's like the, the timing, right, in the south, everybody. And Sarah and I were just like, she was just gripping the steering wheel. Why are they looking at us? Why are they waving? This is what people from Baltimore do, right? They're like, do we have a, we like pulled over. We're like walking around the car. Do we have a flat tire? Like, is there something wrong with this thing? Why are they waving us down like that? It's like, that's what they do in the south. <laughs> you know, anyway, not around here. Our neighborhood, it's like people just, when they walk their dogs, I don't know how they don't run into everything because it's like this. <laughs> and I, I purposefully, like, engage. Like, my daughter River, I don't know if you know her or have met her. You probably have if you've been here more than one Sunday. But she, like, will walk up to you and be like, hi, I'm River. How are you? <laughs> Very forward, you know what I mean? Uh, that's what I, I like to do with, with our neighbors. Hi, how are you? <laughs> okay. Just like takes people off guard around here because they're just not friendly, you know. Uh, overall, people around here are a little. And if you don't believe that, you've been here too long. <laughs> you don't see it. You need to go to the south for a little bit, and then you'll you'll be scared. You'll literally be scared. You'll be ready to leave very soon. But it was funny, just uh, being in their neighborhood, watching everybody wave and and you know waving back, and I just enjoy it. It fills my spirit, you know. But there can be some of it that's disingenuine, you know, where people are kind and friendly, and then it's like, what are they really saying, you know? Like, how is it really? Oh, there's the same gossip. There's the same stuff that takes place down there. But we should be, as a church, seeking to line up what's happening on the inside with what's happening on the outside. Now, we are going to engage 
in a topic that came up in Hebrews chapter 3. The author's coming back around to the same thing. Uh, and here's the, here's the title of the message. We are to be faithful, not sinful. We are to be faithful and not sinful. And this is the last portion of scripture before we get to Hebrews chapter 11, which is the faith chapter, if you're familiar with that. So, you know, it is a springboard getting us into it, but uh, the question here that is begging to be asked, right, after you read this passage is, can you lose your salvation? Can you lose it? And I think some people come from a background or a denomination where that's a regular discussion. It's like, yeah, you can lose it. You can lose your salvation. And then some people, if you come from a background like I come from, it would be like, absolutely not. You can't lose your salvation. Eternal security. Once saved. Okay, there, we got a few in the crowd this morning. I, I don't know how we had barely any, um, which I thought was pretty cool. But anyway, once saved, always saved. Uh, and, and these... Um, you know, these types of conversations have been happening in the church for a long time, hundreds of years, long before us, and they'll probably happen long after us. And I think it's important for us to grapple with it. But, you know, I'm just kind of at a place in my ministry and in my life where I'm not really in any kind of camp or, you know, I'm not worried. I'm going to preach this message and then I'm going to have four or five texts from pastor friends that are like, dude, what's wrong? Why aren't you aligning with us on that topic, right? Like, I don't have those types of relationships. Maybe I should, but I don't. Uh, and, you know, I'm just kind of like, I would just care about what the text says. And if the text says this, and this is the direction that it wants us to point, I'm not really concerned with aligning with a phrase. I'm not really concerned with aligning with an ideology that defines a denomination. I'm concerned with aligning with Jesus, I'm concerned with being pointed in the right direction and headed in that direction if that's the direction God wants us to go in. So I'm not really worried about, like, I'm going to say this in such a way that everybody will know I'm really Reformed and a Calvinist. You know, first of all, that's not the case, uh, and you can probably tell that if you know what that is. But the idea will, uh, you know, none of those things are really, like, guiding me. It's more about the text. So I may say something that you don't have a framework for this morning. I may say something and you'd be like, oh, that can't be. I have a theological idea that has one scripture verse attached to it that goes against that. I'm sorry to ruffle your feathers this morning. But what I can't do is apologize for what the text says. And it's going to be pretty obvious. And some of you, I'm going to go ahead and, and lay this warning out. If you're living in sin, you should stop. You, you should turn around and go the other direction. Because this is a warning. That's what This is the fourth warning in this passage that we've encountered. This is the fourth one, right? And, and mind you, if you didn't listen to last week's message, go listen to last week's message. Listen to them all. But this comes from a place where it's, it says, uh, let us draw near. Let us consider what the Lord's doing in our heart. The, the last point is, uh, what, what, what was it? Let us, uh, it's, it's basically work and encourage each other to love and good works. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's the verses before what we're about to read. It is come to church, encourage each other to live the right way. Why? Because if you don't, it's bad. It's real bad. All right? So, Let's jump in. Hebrews 10, 26 through 39. And then we'll take a little journey through the text together. Ready? 
For if we, what's the next word? That's where I went, man, you guys are on it this morning. Yes. That's the word that we're going to see repeated over and over again. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth. That's key, right? After receiving the knowledge of the truth. There no longer remains a what? For sins. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Y'all are like, oh my goodness, he going hellfire today. I picked the wrong Sunday to come. You probably did. Just kidding. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) Visitors, you're welcome. Amen. It is a tough passage, though. Verse 28. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy. That ought to scare you. Based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse, right? How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God? who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. This next verse, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The implications that if you're in the hands of another God that isn't living, that isn't all-powerful, that isn't supreme, that's a scary place to be. Remember the earlier days, and kind of the author shifts here, and then we can take a, a, a breath. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And at other times, you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. Because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great, what? Reward. But, but, but pastor, it doesn't inspire confidence when you're like saying that the Lord is going to take out his vengeance. And you're going to burn for that type of behavior. That doesn't inspire confidence. Well, it shouldn't inspire confidence if you're living in sin. But if you're living the way he wants you to live, you should be like, man, I got all the confidence in the world. And the point here, like the, the implication, we don't quite understand it because it's not in our culture. But it's, it says that they were companions of those treated that way. Uh, they, their possessions were confiscated. What we know is the Roman Empire, when folks were jailed, it was, it, was a, um, it, it was a common thing that when folks were imprisoned, and these are Christians being imprisoned, that their houses would be looted. So in other words, not only are they dealing with the idea that they've been imprisoned for their faith, but when they get out of prison, they're going to have what? Nothing. And the author of Hebrews identifies that, and he says, look, understand that you made a decision to really focus on what really matters. And what matters is not the fact that they added insult to injury and you don't have anything. What matters is you have the one thing they don't have. Woo-hoo. You have a better and enduring possession. 
You got a thing that no matter how much they mistreat you, no matter how much they persecute you, no matter how much they despise you, no matter how the enemy attacks, no matter what he takes, he can't take your faith. He can't take the confidence that you have in Jesus. That lasts for eternity. That's, do you see it? So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by what? Here's the springboard. If he draws back, chapter 3 would say if he falls away, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are what? The warning is there, but also the confidence. Now, I want to use not a a system of beliefs that our denomination gives us. It's not what I want to use. I want to use the Bible itself to define itself. I want to go to this place, right, where this story is, or the, the Old Testament text is alluded. If you look in the text, verse number 28 in Hebrews 10, it says, anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on a testimony of two or three witnesses. So I want to bring some clarity around this idea of losing your salvation, keeping your salvation, what it means, what it doesn't mean. We're not going to deal with those terms specifically, I would say, uh, but we're going to deal with them biblically. Let's look at the Old Testament that was alluded to where it says clearly that they were disregarded or, let's see, what was the term? Yeah, disregarded the law. They died based on, on a testimony. They died without mercy. They were not the ones who were saved. They died without mercy, right? Here's the passage. Numbers 15, 22 through 31. We're going to read this together, okay? This, this is what the author of Hebrews would have had in mind. This is what he would have understood in the context of the new covenant. How does this work with sins? How does this work with um, people that are repeatedly sinning, right? Uh, here's the language that the Old Testament gives it. Uh, when you sin unintentionally and do not obey all these commandments. Did we already start this? We didn't start this, did we? Sometimes my mind like glitches back to 9 a.m. when I already said this and I already read it not long ago. And then, and then my ADHD is like, woo. And then I have to find the neurological pathway that is correct and reestablish it. We haven't read this, right? Okay, all right, good. Numbers 15, 22 through 31. Let's go here. When you sin, what's that word? That's going to be repeated. When you sin unintentionally, I think I said that about the last passage, which was incorrect. When you sin unintentionally and do not obey these commands, That the Lord spoke to Moses. All that the Lord has commanded you through Moses from the day the Lord issued the commands and onward throughout your generations. And if it was done, are y'all following along? And if it was done what? Let's think about that. If it was done unintentionally, without the community's awareness, the entire community is to prepare one young bull for a burnt offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord, with its grain offering and drink offering according to the regulation, and one male goat as a sin offering. Man, I'm just so thankful that the new covenant is so much simpler than all that. If you had an unintentional sin, 
the motion was set for you to bring a goat and all this. Man, anyway, we don't need goats in here. Could use a couple in the lawn, keeping the grass cut, but anyway. <laughs> Where are we at? What verse? 20 what? 25. The priest will then make atonement, watch this, for the entire Israelite community so that they may be what? All of this is to get to that place. For the sin was what? Are we talking about unintentional sin? Are we? Have you picked up on that yet? They are to bring their offering, a food offering to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their unintentional sin. The entire Israelite community and the alien who resides among them will be forgiven, since it happened to all the people unintentionally. If one person sins unintentionally, he is to present a a year-old female goat as a sin offering. The priest will then make atonement before the Lord on behalf of the person who acts in error, sinning unintentionally, and when he makes atonement for him, he will be forgiven. You are to have the same law for the person who acts in error, whether for the Israelite or for the resident alien. But the person who acts what? Whether native or resident alien blasphemes the Lord. That person is to be cut off from his people. He will certainly be cut off because he has despised the Lord's word and broken his command. His guilt, what? Remains on him. Hebrews 3.12. This is the first time in our study on Hebrews that this was brought out. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any of you Uh, In any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So this is another warning of the same thing, the beginning of our passage. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What we have here in the context of the Old Testament law is that there was an opportunity when it comes to a sin that was committed unintentionally for that sin to be forgiven. We also see that sin that is deliberate comes with a condemnation that is to remove the offender from being in the Israelite community. The connection is that the offender is committing an act of blasphemy. We see that in this view, Here as well in verse 29 of our text, when they regard the blood of Jesus as profane and insult the Spirit of God. There is often debate among Christian denominations as to whether or not you can lose your salvation. And I do think this is somewhat semantics. But the point here that the author is making, and a broader point in the New Testament made, is that the Lord wants us to endure in this life and be faithful to the end. That is it, simply put. What is the Christian life? It is a period of time that we devote our lives to Jesus and remain faithful to him no matter what. Now let's take a step back and breathe a little bit. This is a, to me, this is a clear connection. The author of Hebrews writing about someone who continues in deliberate sin is to be removed. Their sin remains. They are basically playing their own God at that point. And he says this is is the same way that Moses and under the Old Testament law, they would remove. So we look at the context of that and we bring it to essentially modern day and how they would deal with it in the new covenant and the two align. 
They really do. And, and I think it, it ought to, man, this ought to spur us to, to thought. This, this ought to be a cause for concern. Why? Because sin is a cause for concern. Sin is a, man, it is a thing that starts us on a path to death. Lust can, you know, lust brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. I want us to think broadly about this. I want us to think about, not from a place of maybe where we typically would approach this, where it's like, you know what, I'm a sinner, and the Lord saved me from my sin. Okay. He he saved me from all my sins, so therefore I'm going to heaven no matter what. That's what we say. No matter what, I'm going to heaven. No matter what, I'm going to heaven when I die. Thank goodness. Thank goodness I'm saved. Saved. Sealed. Delivered. Amen. (laughs) And then we hear about all the crazy things on the news that that dude was doing behind closed doors. Is he saved? Is he a believer? I mean, what about, what, what about all of the, like, horrific things? Like, I don't know, if you come from an independent Baptist, you probably just watched a documentary recently, Let Us Pray. We've, a lot of us have talked about it. I mean, I'm, I'm of the opinion that, yes, someone can be saved if repentance is there. But, like, ultimately, you know, if you're in that position and you're doing horrific things, especially to children, like, remember what Jesus said. It's better that a millstone be hung about your neck. I mean, I know how Jesus would feel about it. I know how I feel about it. I've been in churches where it was a thing. But let's not escalate it even to that. Let's talk about our own backyards. We come to church and we're like, yeah, I am forgiven. I, this is amazing. God's grace is so good. <laughs> and then we go live like hell every other day of the week. Our lives on our phones are not the lives that we share with others. In fact, they're quite different. Our children, if, if they were to be act, asked and quizzed, like, how, what, what are mom and dad actually like? It would be a different person. At what point is our eternal security a facade and it's fake? At what point do you come to church and just punch a clock to say, I'm good, but it's really not life change. It's behavior modification. At what point is they that be in Christ are new creatures, and you're a new creature, and old things are gone. They are passed away. You've become new. At what point between that and who we actually are, are we concerned about our faith? At what point are we going to actually say, maybe I'm believing, I have a false sense of security? And when I read this text and I look at it and I'm like, let's just think about this. Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice. And we go to the Old Testament and the word that is used is unintentional. In other words, if you are intentionally acting in your sin, you are not under God's law. Because if you were, and here's how you got to play this thing out. You ready? If you were under God's law, you would say there's a sin. And I now have a process of confession and repentance. And in the Old Testament, it was, you better bring a goat. 
Maybe we all need to show up with some goats next week. And you don't even have to say nothing. If you come in with a goat, we'll know. I think it would be so much better. So much better. I'm just going to come in with one, hook to my little pant loop right here, just walking in with my goat. <laughs> Stand up. So show everybody your shirt. Steve's got something he's dealing with. Amen? Steve's got something he's dealing with. And we're all going to pray for Steve right now. Amen? <laughs> That's hilarious. Will you be my scapegoat? <laughs> Man, that's funny. Look, here's the problem with the new covenant. It's all happening internally. There's no outward show because Jesus already walked through. I forgot. Alicia, if you're watching online, I'm sorry. I forgot to put the cross out. But here's, here's the thing. It's like we, we don't have that outward show, and so we're all like, oh, yeah, we're professing Christians. <laughs> but you know. When you're lying through your teeth. And my problem is this. If you're lying, if you're deliberately, intentionally sinning, what I'm seeing from the Old Testament is there is absolutely a path for you to be put out. Why? Why is that? Because here's what it is. I think we stop too short. Here's what it is. Y'all don't miss this. We stop too short. We say, God saved us from our sins. Our sins are cared for, so we're good, right? And we make it about our sins rather than understanding that the New Testament shows a process and a path of where our sin takes us. It is not just your sin that is cared for. It is your sin that has you on a path for death, right? If your sin is cared for, if your sin has been Forgiven, if it has been obliterated, then there's actually no remembrance of it. Why? Because Jesus is doing a priestly work in heaven that's perfect and amazing, and he's purifying your sin. But if you, because of your free will, intentionally interact with your sin and remove your sin from the process of his grace, and you decide to have a relationship with it, you are on another path deliberately. It is your choice. And no matter what you think he's done to your heart inside, and no matter what you think he's made you new, you are choosing to live in your old way, your old path. And that path does not lead to righteousness. It leads to death. And here's what I'm saying. Finish it out. What is the sin that ultimately cuts them off from Israel and sends them out? What is the sin in Hebrews that ultimately where they're cut off and they are, uh, let's see, what's the, what's the wording? Deliberately go sinning after receiving, there remains no sacrifice for their sin. What is the thing? They profane the blood of Jesus. They insult the Holy Spirit. So we, in our semantics, we say, uh, uh, no, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the efficacy of his blood and his sacrifice. We say that. But if we meant it, when we sinned, we would say, I need your forgiveness. I need your priestly work now. In the Old Testament, it's, ah, I, need, I need your priestly work. Bring a goat. And they understood that one person's sin affected the entire what? It affected the entire community. It is the same way in the church. It's the same way. And if we, here's the thing, when you say no 
I'm not going to confess. I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to walk in his priestly work. Here's what you're doing. You're saying, I want to deal with my sin on my own. I am now my God. I am now the one who is responsible for my sins. Here's what it is. It's unbelief. It is the end result of your sin is unbelief. Ultimately, they are removed because they don't believe in Jesus. But that path was a slow fade from you deciding to sin instead of confessing, instead of repenting from it. You think we can get there? From saying, I believe in Jesus to I don't believe in Jesus anymore? I absolutely think you can get there. Why? Because the text tells us that you can get there. If you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. Scripture's clear about that. We need to have a revival in our churches where we are open, where we let the the high priest do his priestly work on the large scale that he's capable of. And we understand that if we hide it and we are deliberate about our sin, watch this, you're headed down a path without him. That ought to scare the fire out of you. That ought to scare the fire in you. Church, we, we don't talk about this enough. I mean, I know we, walk, we just walked through the text, and now we're engaging with it. But let's process this. If you're a parent, and you're living out habitual sin in front of your children, what are you teaching them? That you don't need Jesus. What are you teaching them? That you are your own God. You're dealing with your own behaviors. The end result of that, your sin remains to your account. Because you are not perfect, because you are not sinless, because you do not have the power of God, you will die and pay for your own sin debt off in a devil's hell. Is that what you want? Do you want to be delivered? Do you want to be free? Do you want to be a slave to your sin and bondage? Or do you want to walk in his grace? The author of Hebrews has done a beautiful job at saying, hey, Jesus has a really good system for your sin, a really good system. He understands what you're going through. You have to bring it what? To him. Let's continue to walk through this, okay? How many are feeling the weight of this? If we walk in our sin, it is not good. Unless we cast the first stone, this is something we all deal with. Yes? Are we going to act like we don't deal with it? Do you not deal with sin? Right. Okay. Our Christian realities. This is the, the beginning of the help that we need to make it to the two points, and then that gets us home. Uh, man, it's so bad that our, our fifth string lost to the Steelers yesterday, isn't it? Mm. What a shame our fifth string lost to the Steelers. Hopefully it gives them a little confidence that they need, you know, with that 63% or 65% chance of making the playoffs now. The Lord knew they needed a little bump. Hope they enjoy it because it's temporary. Our Christian realities, however, are not temporary. Here, y'all look at me. I want you to leave with confidence. I want you to leave knowing that you're saved. I want you to leave knowing that you can walk in faith. I want you to leave knowing that the Lord loves you and he's cared for all of these things. 
Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to walk out and go, I'm good. I can still sin and still go to heaven. He'll forgive me. You have to see there's a difference. There's a mindset shift that needs to take place in the church. You are loving your desires and your impulses and your sins more than Jesus. You are choosing your own path and your, your own way over him. And that's not okay. It's, it's hard, like the simplest thing, right? We talk about food and money. It's like we have this fast coming. It's like, yeah, it's really convenient to just stop in McDonald's every day. It's really convenient. I'm just going to go through the drive-thru. And there was a season of my life where that's what I did. Ten years of that? Lord Jesus, <laughs> you got a mess to deal with. But it was easy and it was convenient. And I'm just going to pull through the drive-thru you know, only one more time. One more time leads to ten more times. Leads to, man, I got some, my joints are hurting. I got all this undue pressure on my knees because of this extra 30 pounds around my waist. Oh, my goodness. It becomes hard later. Sin, there's pleasure in the beginning. It's easy. It's convenient. It would be harder to work out the things with my spouse. It would be harder to communicate. It would be harder to have a good marriage, that work up front, and then all the other good things that are past it. I'd rather just live in my sin up front to get the pleasures that I need. But do you understand the devastation down the road? You see, if today you decide you're going to eat right, if today you decide to put good things in, it might be hard. It might be difficult. It might take more preparation. But let me tell you, you're going to feel better in 10 years. You're going to be running faster, stronger. Life works this way. Why would we think the Christian life is no different? This is how we're made in God's image. You choose sin now over the holiness of God. You're on a path. Okay, all right. Our Christian realities. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. How many know that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sin and mine, and rose again on the third day? How many know that? That is the gospel. Say it with me on three. The gospel. Say it with me on three. One, two, three. I forgot to count. My neurodivergence. Woo it's the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Watch this, church. Is enough for us to be delivered from our sin. It's enough. To say, oh, I can't, I can't get victory. You're saying what you did wasn't enough. It was enough. He got enough power in that to put everything right, to set everything in order to conquer every demonic force on this planet. Somebody say amen. It was enough. How do I know? Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for deliverance, for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by, come on, what? It is revealed. In other words, if I believe in the gospel, if I believe in the power of God, I will transition. I will go from being uh, someone who is on a path that is uh, sin and a devil's hell to saying, no, 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 no. I got a Jesus. I got a Savior who has displayed a different way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And I'm on a different path. I'm on his path. And I'm going to display who he is to everybody that's around me because he is the only good part of me. It's different. It's different. You, you understand that there is enough power there. Paul's like, I ain't ashamed of this. What I was was religious. 
Paul said, what I was was some kind of zealot that forced people into a mold. You have to live this good life. What I am now is who he wants me to be. Don't focus on making your outside prim and proper. Focus on actually believing in who he is on the inside. The behavior will happen once you get on the path. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is enough to be delivered from our sin. Here's the next one. Jesus is actively a priest for those that desire him to be. Just like the people in the camp, the Israelite camp, were like, oh, man, there was an unintentional sin. We're going to deal with this. This is something that's come up. In other words, the person who did it, they no longer want to do it what? They no, they no longer are going to do it what? Again. I, I want to handle this. And there was a system and a mechanism in place for them to bring the sacrifice and for the priest to work the, do the priestly duties that he was supposed to perform. And then they received what? Forgiveness. Watch this. Come on. This gets me all kind of excited. Hebrews chapter 4. Ready? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, say his name. Say his name. Come on, say it louder. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without what? Come on, somebody say amen. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Somebody say amen. Jesus is actively a priest for those that desire to be. For him to be your priest, he's there, he's ready. Listen, Hebrews says this. He says, look, Jesus gets it. He was a human. He felt it. He understood the pull. He goes, oh, my goodness, I feel the pull. But you know what? He didn't give in. But that means when you get pulled and you do give in, you can go to him with boldness and say, I need help. I need mercy. It is your pride that will turn you into a God hater. It is your pride that will turn you into someone who should be cut off and, and just go. <laughs> you are no longer a believer. Why? Because you chose to do it yourself. Jesus is enough. Say it with me. Jesus is enough. He is. He is. And he is your high priest. When, when you have a problem, when you sin, look, let me help you with something. This is every day for me. Every day I fall. Every day I fail. It could be a thought. It could be something I say. I could stub my toe in the kitchen, kick the dog. I don't know, whatever it is. It's a scale, right? Every day, I go into that throne room with boldness and I go, I know why you did what you did, because you love me. Because you knew that I couldn't live and be perfect on my own. So therefore, you laid the groundwork for me to come in and get forgiveness. He is your high priest. And remember the passage in Numbers. The whole camp needed that one person to get what they needed. Church? We're entering into a new season here. I don't know if you feel it, but I can feel it. We all need to be right. We need to have a rhythm as a church community where we're not like, oh. We're like, oh. Because we know we're going to be there. 
we need each other. You think you're better than? Uh-uh. No. I'm not better. I just know that his work is effective and mine isn't. The third thing, if you don't submit to Jesus' work in the gospel, then you are responsible for your own sins. Are you making that up, Pastor? Hebrews 10, 26. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Does that sound pretty plain? It's pretty plain. You can choose to remove yourself and exit stage left and just be like, I don't believe it anymore. That is a mistake. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. And he's, he, he wants to be your high priest right now. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in him. Maybe you're like, I've been doing this thing on my own. I've been just trying to be a good person my whole life. I'm sorry, you have sinned. You can't be a good person. But he can give you his righteousness to put on display. He's not interested in you putting yourself on display. He's interested in you putting God on display to a lost and dying world who needs him too. The sooner we accept the fact that we are not and he is, the faster we get there. And in church, when we get sideways is when we start doing it on our own. The Lord calls us to be faithful, not what? Sinful. Jesus has done everything necessary to save you and I. The rest is up to us to be faithful and receive the promise that he is graciously and willingly able to give. He doesn't withhold it. He wants to give you his grace. He wants to give you his mercy. He's made a clear path for you to go get it. But would you rather sin? But would you rather continue in doing what makes you happy for a a season instead of walking in his righteousness? Number one, pursue holiness and avoid sin. How do you have confidence that you are in his perfect will, that you are a recipient of his grace, that you are a child of the king. How do you have confidence? How do you have confidence in that? You pursue holiness and avoid sin. It's funny, like, if you have children, you know, when they do something that they're not supposed to, like get slime all in their carpet to the point that it has to be replaced. It's almost like their door stops working. And now they want to say goodnight in every other room of the house other than their room. And then they think it's like, I'm, I'm not picking up on this fact. I always come to your room and say goodnight and put you to bed. Oh, no, Dad, we can have goodnight hugs and kisses right down here in the kitchen. Everything's okay. Love you. Love you. You stay right there. You stay right there. Okay. So it's going to be like that. You know, I come back to your room every night after you're asleep, and I survey what's going on. We have a Belgian Malinois that roams the house. I'm a little paranoid, just a little. I mean, I go in, and I'm like, oh, I get it why they don't want to say goodnight in their bedroom. They didn't want the repercussions, right? And my thing is, it's not about the slime. I mean, it kind of is a little bit. You know what I'm saying? It's not about the slime. It's about the deception. It's about the fact that you think you can avoid things. Like, do you understand who God is? 
Why do we avoid? We ought to run right into his presence and go, I got slime all over the carpet. Because as soon as that happens, he's like, let's go clean it up. And I got the best cleaner. Jesus has never seen a stain that he couldn't get out. Never. Never, not once. The only stain he doesn't get out is when you don't entrust him to do the work in your life that needs to be done. And that's where your sin is going to take you. And here's the thing, it's scalable. Where are you on the scale? Are you like 50%? Half of my stuff I get his help with. The other half I do. That's a problem. Pursue holiness and avoid sin. Holiness and righteousness is who he is. When we pursue that, we are pursuing him. Listen to this scripture verse. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. How plain can you get, right? But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am what? Pursue holiness. How do I have more confidence that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do? Are you being more like God? Are you chasing him? You know, when we sing these songs, your goodness is running after, it's running after me. And we feel it and we know it. Run to the Father. Fall into his grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. That's the pursuit of holiness. It's knowing who the high priest is and the fact that he's got the goods. And he can, he can make it right just like that. You're sitting in darkness. You're sitting in your sin because the enemy has you there. Because he's convinced you that you're better at dealing with your, your junk than he is. There is no one better at dealing with your stuff than Jesus. The gospel of Jesus says, bring me your stuff and I'm going to take care of it. What I'm not saying is you need to be perfect and you need to be good people. No. I'm saying you need to take your bad to him and let him work it for his good. It ain't about us. It's about him. Pursue holiness and avoid sin. Instead of saying, I'm safe no matter what. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven no matter what. Instead of, instead of doing that, like, why don't you just survey your life and say, does my life look like I'm saved? Does my life look like he's my king? He's my priest? He's my everything? Is that what it looks like? And if it doesn't, go talk to somebody else and say, hey, what's my life look like? We need each other. Hey, does it look like we don't have conversations like this ever? Like, what is wrong with us? We're t we need to do life, like, on a more intimate level where we get in a small group and we just say, hey, would you know that I'm a Jesus follower? If you didn't know me, if you didn't know I didn't come to church, like, what does it look like? Go ask your neighbor. <laughs> Just be like, hey, that'd be weird, right? Do you think I'm a Jesus follower? <laughs> They'd be like, sure. <laughs> They're getting a Belgian Malinois next, you know what I'm saying? Who's that weirdo? No, you get what I'm saying. Rather than say, I'm good. You should actually 
look at your life and say, am I good or am I living in sin? Do you have a false sense of security? Here's the last one. Pursue faith when you're in a season of suffering and doubt. In our text here, they were clearly going through hard times. They were clearly going through seasons where their things were taken and they were beaten. and they, there, there are struggles. And there are struggles around the world for Christians, for, for people that believe, right? For people that say, no, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. Their life is put on the line. Here's, here's the thing. Pursue faith when you're in a season of suffering. You, you, might not, you might not have your faith persecuted like someone who's in Afghanistan right now. Right? You might not have that, but, but maybe you're going through a difficult season. Maybe you're going through doubt. Maybe your sin has sidelined you. How do you get back? How do I get to this place again where I have confidence that it's me and you, God? How do I get to the place that I can talk to my brother or sister in Christ about what I'm going through? Pursue faith. Pursue believing loyalty in him. Understand that you're on a path this morning. You're on a path. You're either on the one he wants you to be on or you're on the one you want to be on. Pursue faith. Pursue belief. Pursue trust. That means you're pursuing what he has done for you. It's not your show. It's not my show. It's his show. What does it look like to pursue faith? Keep moving forward. What does it look like to pursue faith? Value Christ's return more than the immediate pleasantries of the world. That means we pursue the kingdom of God first, not our own posterity. This is difficult. This is hard. Watch this. But it's worth the struggle. Every head bowed, every eye closed. For in yet a little while, Hebrews 10, 37, the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. If he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. Some of you need to come to an altar this morning. Some of you need to say, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm not, I'm not going to draw back. I, I'm not going to stay on this path of sin for anybody. I'm going to repent. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.